listening to this week's sermon from King's Community Church. For more information about our church, including meeting time and location, visit kingscommunity.ch. that I've ever received, being able to know Jesus and and understand how to read the Bible. While I had never had intentions of going into ministry, uh, my life had changed so much through college that eventually I I took the opportunity to go to seminary, which is just grad school for ministers. And in seminary, I was tenaciously learning the Bible, and and I wanted to do it in a systematic way, because I had started reading the Bible, but I was having trouble understanding the Bible the way that it was intended to be read. Uh, So my first few semesters in seminary, I was focused on the Old Testament. If you don't know, the Bible is 66 books long. The first 39 books of the Bible are called the Old Testament. So my first few semesters were focused on that before transitioning to the New Testament. Go figure. That's the order that it comes in. And I will never forget the first day of my first New Testament class. I'll never forget that day uh, because I, I saw something that I had never comprehended before. The first day in class, uh, the teacher read from Matthew chapter 1. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. Chapter 1 is the first chapter of the New Testament. And after he read what I'm going to share with you, I was moved to tears. Just from him reading from the Bible. I was moved to tears, which uh, is not a good look for a 20-something young adult male, 6'1", 220, covered in tattoos in a room full of strangers, uh, crying in a classroom. But if you know me, it's probably no surprise to you because I I can be moved to to tears pretty easily. But I want to see today if you have the same visceral, tangible response to what was read that I had that day. Let me read it for you in Matthew chapter 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Amminadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Ammon, Ammon fathered Josiah, and Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Sheliatil, 
Sheliatiel fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abiud, Abiud fathered Eliakim, Eliakim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Akim, Akim fathered Eliud, Eliud fathered Eliazer, Eliazer fathered Matthan, Matthan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until Christ, 14 generations. Did you catch it? Did it catch you? How can there be a dry eye in the house right now? Maybe I need to read it again. (laughs) Did you hear that list of names? That's not just a list of of baby names for millennial parents to pull from. That's not just a list of random names to take up papyrus to start the New Testament. That's not just a random list of names. You have to understand that this is the list of names that led to Jesus Christ. This is real people in a real place in history. You also have to understand that the, the, the New Testament was written to people at a real point in history. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we call them the Gospels. It's the same story written to people with a different perspective. It's the same story written to people to try to persuade people to understand and believe who Jesus Christ really is. And while all four of the Gospels are good for us to understand about who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and life and living, we should understand the different unique perspectives of the Gospel writers. Matthew was writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. That's important because a first century Jew would have listened to that list of names and they would have found it breathtaking. Because that list of names is like the table of contents for the entire Old Testament. It's not just a list of random names of people. It's a list of names that mark the story of God throughout history. In Genesis chapter 3, all was good until rebellion caused brokenness in the world. And from the very inception of brokenness, God promised I'm going to send a son and a savior to reverse the curse. And then we see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God relentlessly pursuing people, encouraging them. I'm a faithful God. I'm a covenant-keeping God. I'm a promise-keeping God. I will fulfill my promise to eradicate sin and rebellion and suffering and even death. Just wait for it. That's the whole Old Testament. That's the entire Old Testament. Then we get to the New Testament, and the very first verse of the New Testament is a zoomed-in version of God reminding this Jewish audience that he's going to fulfill his promises. Listen to that first verse, that first genealogy, that first list of names that brings people to Jesus is Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. That's the zoomed in version. Because throughout the Jewish people's history, God had established very special covenants with a couple of people. After God had promised Adam and Eve that he was going to send a savior into the world, later on, 
God set a man apart. His name was Abram. And God told Abraham, you are going to father a multitude. Your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. God established a covenant with him. Guess what it was called? The Abrahamic covenant is very creative. The Abrahamic covenant promised that God was going to do something with the special people group. Their responsibility was to be a blessing to the whole world. That first snapshot of genealogy of Jesus is that Jesus is the promised covenant for God to be a blessing to the entire world. What does it mean that, that Jesus is the son of David? David was another unique person in God's history with his people. See, God had told his people that they didn't need to be like the rest of the nations. They didn't need to have a king because they had God. But the rebellious people persisted, just like we often do. And God said, okay, I'm going to allow you to have a king. Their first go at a king, they picked a guy named Saul who was essentially tall, dark, and handsome. They thought this guy's got to be a good king. He looks the part. Saul had some highs and some lows, but it did not go well for God's people. So God said, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it my way. And instead of Saul's king taking over, or Saul's son taking over as king, God took Saul out of the equation and said, we're going to pick my guy. And one of the most notable names in all the Old Testament is King David. King David had plenty of flaws. But the Old Testament and the New Testament remember King David as a man after God's own heart. And in the middle of David's reign, you can see this in 2 Samuel chapter 7 in the Old Testament, God, God began another covenant with his people called, guess what? The Davidic covenant. It's very creative. And in the Davidic covenant, God promised David, there is going to be a king from your heritage, from your descendants that is going to reign on the throne for all of eternity. And, and that baffled people. How could a person do that? They didn't understand completely, but they trusted God's promise. So when we read that zoomed in version of the genealogy in Matthew 1.1, Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham, it's talking about those two covenants. And Jesus is the blessing king that came into this world. God's faithful promise keeper in the form of a person. But then... Matthew zooms back out in verses 2 through 17, and he gives us Jesus' genealogy from person to person. And like I said, it's a table of contents for the entire Old Testament. People waiting for God to fulfill his promise. And in Matthew chapter 1, the very first chapter of the New Testament, we see the wait is over. These people's stories taught God's faithfulness and character, sometimes through their devotion and other times in spite of their rebellion. But all the listeners to this genealogy would have said that's got to be the one that God was promising. We get to that list of names, and if, if we don't know the history behind it, we can miss the magnitude of what God is trying to tell us through a simple genealogy. But he's telling us the gift is here, the wait is over. God promised to come to people. And we find out in his story that he does that through people. 
God promised to come to people. We find out through the genealogy that God does that through people. This is a list of people who led to Jesus. I want to show you another list. This is another list of people. Most of them are still alive. Uh, Loretta, Loretta Metz was one of my teachers. Uh, for a while, I went to a Catholic high school. She was my religion teacher. She longed for every student that came through the high school to know that God loved them re- with reckless abandon, regardless of anything that they had done or were presently doing. She tried to allow that to come through day after day in class. Uh, Jim Rogers was a, a high school football coach of mine. Uh, that was at a public school, and he really had to walk the line of what he was allowed to say versus what he wasn't allowed to say. But as a football coach, he had a bigger agenda than more wins than losses. He tried to make sure every young man had positive male role models in their life, and he was willing to share his faith with us, longing to see us grow up to be faithful men, regardless of what our record was. I remember that about him, and I'm so grateful for him. When I look at at Matt and Adam, those were two guys that when I was in college, they were inviting me to prayer groups and inviting me to Bible studies, and I didn't understand why they did it, but they were patient and persistent in asking me. I remember Aaron and Sue in college, they were friends in that same friend circle that just put up with me. They they belong on this list. I look over here to to Andy, Andy Kerr. Uh, He was a college pastor at a local college. He would drive 25 minutes to our school uh, and he would call me. He would wait till he got to campus to call me and say, I'm here if you want to get lunch or anything. I felt like the most important person in the world. I felt like the most important person in the world that Andy would drive to campus and do that for me to talk about things that, that were just beginning to matter. And I had more answers than I had questions. Like I said, I was a, I was a mess. And I, I thought I was the only one Andy was coming to campus and calling. He was calling like 10 guys. Uh, I was literally the only one that, that usually answered and made time for it. And never did he make me feel like I was unimportant because I was the only one who was showing up. This is a list of some of the people that, that led me to Christ. This is a list of names of some of the people that helped introduce me to Christ, that brought Jesus to me through them. Each and every one of us has a list of people that are leading us to Christ or trying to lead you to Christ. Maybe you were dragged here by somebody. They are on your list. We all have a list. See, that genealogy was a list of names of people that led to Jesus. Well, many of us have people in our lives that are there to lead us to Jesus. We should be thankful for that list. Who's on your list? Think for a moment, who's on the list of people that have tried to to lead you to Jesus? Maybe for some of you, you had parents that tried to do that. Maybe some of you right now have a, have a spouse that's trying graciously and patiently to introduce you to Jesus. Maybe you've got grandparents or, or some other family member. Maybe you had a coach or a teacher or a friend. Who is on your list of people that have labored to introduce you to Jesus? I once shared this idea with a group of people and a man approached me afterwards 
And he was, he was proud. He was like, nobody's on my list. It was just me and a Bible. No one had tried to share Christ with me before that. And, and I felt like a mean person who popped a kid's balloon, but I kind of liked it. I was like, oh yeah? What about, what about all the people that God used to write the Bible? Wouldn't they be on your list? How do you have the Bible in English? It was originally written in Hebrew and Greek. I, I'd imagine they would be on your list too. You know, uh, Johann Gutenberg, who invented the printing press, do you know one of his original motivations for, for inventing the printing press was to be able to mass produce Bibles so that they would be more accessible and affordable to people? So that, that historical figure that, that you learned about in middle school and forgot about soon thereafter, he's probably also on your list. Not to mention, I'm sure you have people in your life that are praying for you. <laughs> We all have people on our list. We all have a list of people that are laboring to bring us to Christ. God promised to come to people and he does so through people. Who is on your list? Everybody has somebody on their list. I told you when I was in college, uh, my life was radically transformed. I went from not having a care or concern about Christian faith to my faith really beginning to be the central point in my life. By the time I was a senior in college, I had to do a research experiment for my degree program. And, and I decided uh, that, that because school was starting to get in the way of ministry instead of the other way around, I, I would just do my research experiment on how people trust Christ because I wanted to know how people trusted Christ so I could give more of my life over to that. So I, I had this proper research experiment set up and I surveyed people with questionnaires about how they trusted Christ, how they became a Christian. I asked, did you just read the Bible by yourself and become a Christian? Was there some information that you read that proved the Christian faith? Or did you have people in your life sharing sharing the gospel with you, and that's how you trusted Christ. And the results were, were crazy skewed with the vast majority of people saying that they trusted Christ because someone in their life loved them until they learned to love God for themselves. People are transformed when they are shown the gospel and when people share the gospel when people model the gospel and invite people to follow Christ. We have people on our list. God comes to people through people. We're all here because of that. We've all got people on our list. My encouragement to you is if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, Set your life around being on someone's list. God graciously came to you through people. If you've trusted him, you should set your sight on being on someone else's list. God came to us. God used people to lead you to Christ. Go and let God use you lead others to Jesus. Because that matters to God. How much does it matter to God that, that we give our lives to be on the list of others? Jesus thought it was worth dying for.
Christmas is often limited to celebrating the birth of Christ, the promised person to reverse the curse of sin. But we forget that, that even though the wait is over and the gift is here when we celebrate Christmas, Jesus was acutely aware that he was born to die. If you understand one of the major themes of the Bible, you see people who were unique from the rest of creation. People were made in God's image to be in relationship to God, one another, and God's creation. People weren't made to die, but it was what we call sin or rebellion or, or disordered love that inhibited us from worshiping God the way that we were intended to. And because of that, we have consequences. We talked about that in detail a few weeks ago. One of the consequences of sin is death. But if Jesus was born and lived righteously, he doesn't deserve death. Jesus was born to live, but he took it upon himself to die. And while we read the story and it looks like religious authorities and political figures condemned Jesus to death and at their hands, his life was taken on a bloody, tragic cross. It's important for us to remember that they didn't take Jesus' life, he gave it. And that is a very significant difference. People did not take Jesus' life, but he gave it in order that all who believe in him can be included on another list. That is the list of sinners who have been saved by grace through faith in him. The one who did what we could never do on our own. That is the good news of the gift of God. That is why we worship. That is why we celebrate. Because Jesus gave his life, will you give your life to him and for him? That's his ultimate invitation, to be included on the list of his family. The Bible says, adopted into the family of God through one righteous son. We can be made sons and daughters. What does it look like? What does it look like for us to give our life to him and for him? the first thing that I would encourage anyone to do is to consider that God comes to people through people and thank God that in his sovereign will that he brought people to you to introduce you to Jesus. I would encourage you, if, if you're not a worshiper of God, if, if you're a nun like I was, if you believe all religion is sort of the same and all sort of faith-based are, are good and they all have things to, to help us learn and grow, I would say Jesus is the most unique person in all of history. And I would encourage you to, to turn away from, from your own path in life and turn back to him. Admit that he accomplished what you never could and follow him. But if you came to this place and you're already a Christ follower, there's a couple of things that I would really encourage you to do when you read this genealogy in Matthew chapter one. Think about the people on your list. Think about the people that helped lead you to Christ. Think about the characteristics of their living, of their speech, and ask God to become more of that. But as we celebrate Christmas, I would encourage you to go back and thank those people. 
I would encourage you to at least pick one person who was influential in bringing you to Jesus and, and text them, email them, call them, tell them, thank you. I'm still walking with Jesus. That'll be the best gift that you can give them this Christmas because they were intentional in sharing him with you. Maybe you need to go back and, and tell some people, thank you for being a part of introducing me to Jesus. I finally found him and I bet they will be elated and want to celebrate with you. If you came to this place already a Christ follower, encourage the people who led you to Jesus because that will spur them on and it will also teach you how to be like that for someone else. Because the last point is if you are a follower of Christ, be on someone's list. Be on someone's list. In the grand scheme of the world, there are over 7 billion people right now. And Christians can... Humbly, not self-deprecating, but humbly admit that the reason we're here is that we're just a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody. That's what it means to be on someone's list. It's your responsibility to share. It is not your responsibility to save. That's above your pay grade. God will do that work. But there will be a day when everyone has to stand before, before this this loving judge who is Jesus. And in his goodness, like we talked about last week, they'll have to give an answer for what they did with the son of God. Everyone will have to do that. And those who have faith in him will get to experience an eternal relationship with him in our heavenly home. And those who reject him will be separated from him for all of eternity in a place called hell. That separation is worse than we can imagine. But everyone who stands before God will say one of three things. I'm glad somebody told me. I am so glad somebody told me. Some people will say, I wish I would have listened. They'll have had someone to tell them, but they won't have listened. They won't have trusted Christ, and it'll be too late. And then there will be another type of people that says, why didn't anybody tell me? I guarantee there are people in your life that are either lost or they've left and you are uniquely positioned in their life to be on their list. It might be someone that you're close to. It might be someone that you pass by. It might be someone who's never heard. It might be someone who's hurting from church wounds. It might be like the 19-year-old version of me that, that has all the answers but has never really read, and you just need to invite them to take their next step. Maybe it's reading the Bible together. Maybe it's joining us for, for a worship service like tomorrow when we celebrate Christmas together. Maybe you need to invite someone into your everyday life who's lonely. Think about your life. Who did God uniquely position you around so that you could be on their list? Invite them into life. Invite them into church gatherings. Invite them to friendship. It might even be someone who lives in your house. It sounded less creepy in my head. Realistically, it might be your spouse. 
Parents, it might be your kids. Kids, it might be your parents. God doesn't have to work in a linear fashion. Who did God uniquely position you around so that you could introduce them to him? God came to us through people. We all have people on our list. Go be on somebody's list. Heavenly Father, we are encouraged by the genealogy, the list of names in Matthew chapter 1. We recognize that, that you have used servants throughout all of human history to lead to your suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Lord, we recognize that, that you work through people who are faithful and in spite of people who are rebellious. Lord, would you help us to be faithful? Lord, for anyone here who sees for the first time that you've used people to bring them right where they are now to trust you, I pray that they would have the courage to do that. I pray that they would tell someone, the person they came with, me, anyone, that they want to surrender to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, for the rest of us, would you help us to think of the people that led us to you? Would you help us remember the characteristics that, that drew us to you like a magnet? Would you help us to use the type of words and the type of love that they showed us to draw us into you? And will you help us to be more like that in order that we can be on someone's list? Lord, we pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, who came to save us. Amen.